Hey, hi, uh, I am Richard Donner, but you can call me Dick, and you're listening to Superman Movie Minute? Is that right? Did I do it right? Welcome to another thrill-packed episode of Superman Movie Minute, the show that scrutinizes, analyzes, and you'll believe a man can flies 1983 Superman 3, five minutes at a time. Proud member of the Fire & Water Podcast Network, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Franklin, and joining me on this journey through time and space and slapstick opening credits is... <laughs> Rob Kelly. <laughs> yes, Rob, we're still knee-deep in slapstick. Uh <laughs> Lots of silliness to come in the next five minutes, and yes. uh, not counting us. <laughs> yeah, not, yeah not, we might be some of the most serious parts of this, believe it or mm-hmm. not, which is sad. Uh, so last time we ended with an armed bank robber. That's not really funny. Uh, fleeing from the bank he just robbed. Do you think Superman will intervene, Rob? I hoped he would, but no, he does not. <laughs> he doesn't get involved in this at all, as if... There is not a major superhero flying around Metropolis that could, oh, I don't know, stop this. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the Calgary, I mean, uh, the Metropolis police (laughs) opened fire (laughs) on this guy, and they shoot at him as he crosses the very busy midday streets. Thoughts on this, Rob? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, we are in Metropolis slash New York, which was the whole shoot first, ask questions later kind of thing so yeah it doesn't seem terribly safe to shoot at bank robbers as they're running onto a crowded metropolis street uh, those are those are not great uh, bank guards no no i don't think so yeah they, they might they might actually be bank guards instead of police so we maybe we can forgive them a little bit i guess uh, well, i think if you're if you're supposed to carry a gun you should know what to do with it yeah exactly exactly but since they are firing into traffic a bullet hits the tire of a mint green car which then goes flat and the car crashes into a fire hydrant, landing on top of the now open water pipe. Water begins shooting up through the car. So all of this must have ripped the bottom off the car as well, because, I mean, instantaneously, I mean, the car is just full of water. So I guess that's what's going on here. And as the Keystone-like cops chase the foot <laughs> and ignore the damage they've done, and maybe, again, maybe it's bank guards, we get the credit and Margot Kidder. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I don't know, based on what we know about this film and how much Margot Kidder's in it, you know, I don't think this is one of those Ann Terrence stamp, stamp type things. This is, you know, this isn't she's really the co-star, but we gave her a juicy credit at the end. No, this is really and Margot Kidder as if she's an afterthought, because unfortunately in this film, she is. What do you what do you think, Rob? Am I off base or? <laughs> no, I think that's probably right. I mean, she's she's too important to the franchise to bury in the back end of the credits after Annette O'Toole or Mark McClure. But she's in the movie for what? Not not even five minutes. Yeah. So. So, yeah, that makes I think probably contractually it's the kind of thing where, it, you know, you pay her a lot and uh, a lot for what her time investment is. And then you give her a nice credit. And luckily uh, for at least the not luckily in terms of the viewers, but luckily in terms of the 
people putting together the, the producers, you you don't have lots of big name actors, so you can give her that credit because you're not you don't have Terrence Stamp or Marlon Brando or Gene Hackman where you're like larded up with big names and like every you know you can't give and and it's like those like remember the the credits for Avengers Endgame like yeah. six people got the and credit it was like and Samuel Jackson and Chris Evans. And it was like, how many yeah. ands can you do? So yeah. luckily here, it's just, all right, and Margot Kidder, she's here, but she's kind of off to the side. I'm still trying to figure out how Chris Pratt got an and at the end with, like, Robert Redford. I mean, I like you, Chris Pratt, but you're no Robert Redford, you know? <laughs> and a good agent. That's, that's, a, that's good agenting is what that is. I guess, and since he's not a main Avenger, he didn't get the, you know, he get, didn't get the Star Trek Six signature, you know, so, uh, yeah. But anyway, we're talking about Avengers Endgame, not uh, Superman 3. That's uh, Endgame Minute when we do that. Endgame Minute. Oh, I could do that. I could do that. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I probably would die of a heart attack in the cap, you know, catches me on your scene. I, I almost did in the theater. So, uh, but anyway. What, is it, what uh, does it say, Chris, that we are two minutes into the second episode of Superman 3 Movie Minute? We're already talking about another superhero movie. We'd rather <laughs> do Avengers Endgame Minute. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know what was good? The Phantom. Anyway. If a slam right. evil. Uh, <laughs> uh, but the green car continues to fill with water and, and the man inside and bystanders outside try to open the doors, the license plate, in case anybody's wondering, uh, reads RIB904 for you trivia buffs. And there is a Coca-Cola truck in the background. This is a dangerous city for Coca-Cola trucks. That's all <laughs> I'm going to say. Um, so why can't anyone get the doors open on this car? I mean, what, I mean, did the guy have the other three doors locked? Did his door jam when he hit the hydrant in the curb? Maybe he warped the frame. What do you think? This is these, oh, these people are stupid. I, I mean, <laughs> it's a four door car. Uh, I mean, we see that the guy, the the one of the bystanders, tries to open the uh, driver's side door and the handle breaks because, of course, it does. Mm-hmm. But I mean, what did the other three handles break? I mean, I, what like I, this is the kind of thing where I think they wrote it as a stunt because it looked really cool, but they didn't think about, boy, it really does make everybody look idiotic. That they can't find a way to get this guy out of a car uh, as it's flooding up. I mean, just open the door and get out. What do you do? Like, Take something and crack the window. I mean, the, uh, there's a, there's a guy with a hard hat. Maybe he's got a tool belt, grab a wrench or a hammer and <laughs> shatter yeah, the glass. Yeah. yeah. You know? One hole will do it. That's exactly. <laughs> Uh, near the series of turned over phone booths from la- our last episode walks Clark Kent, who somehow missed the sound of gunfire in the streets with his super hearing. <laughs> but he hears and sees the commotion around the flooding car. Uh, Lester missed a perfect opportunity to pull the no phone booth gag from the first film. But Clark darts his eyes around and spots a photo booth and he ducks in for a change of clothes. And we all know what this is going to mean. Uh, and now for the first time on screen, two Superman actors meet face to face. A young boy approaches the booth with his mother and puts his money in to take some photos. Do you know who this boy is, Rob? This is the same actor that was Baby Kal-El in Superman the movie. Yes, this is Aaron Smolinski, who indeed played little Kal-El and bared all <laughs> in the scene where Superman is found by the Kents. Uh, baby Kal-El is found by the Kents, and he also later appeared in Man of Steel. Uh, so, you know, he also oh, I don't think I knew that. Too. Was I didn't know that he was in Man of Steel. Yeah, he's a soldier in Man of Steel. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Well, good for him. 
Yep, yep. And uh, he's he actually well back when we had conventions, uh, he was he was uh, making the rounds on the convention circuit quite a bit. So uh, I think he went to the Ma- Metropolis uh, Superman celebration in Metropolis, Illinois, too. So good for him. Yeah, <laughs> good for him. Yeah, so Superman. Hey, it's Christopher Reeve. Hey, Superman. finally we get some Superman. <laughs> All right. Uh, he emerges from the photo booth, uh, but before he heads off to the rescue, he notices the boy and his mother. He grabs the pictures from the dispenser because the kid put the money in while he was in there changing. And looking at them, sees they show his step-by-step costume change. Oh man, that they should do. I think they really need to. Like I don't know. They could. There's no prop of this. I mean, why isn't there a prop of these pictures in a film strip somewhere? You know, I mean, come on. Maybe if the Warner Brothers store was still. Would have made a great filmation reel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that would have been, yeah. <laughs> so, in one of my favorite little bits, he rips off the bottom photo of just Superman, hands it to the kid, pats his head, and takes off with the rest. Uh, <laughs> I just love that Superman took the time to give the kid a little memento. Even though he probably should be more concerned with the drowning man, what do you think? <laughs> uh, I mean, look, the guy in the car is pretty dumb. Uh, he can wait. I mean, he got himself into this mess, got himself out. Am I crazy, or is Superman's costume colored a little differently? Uh, doesn't doesn't the blue look more aqua than 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 kind of navy than it was in the in the other two movies? Am I crazy? It feels like I don't know. It just feels like the colors are just a little off. I think maybe what happened is I know. For Superman 1, they went in and um, when they cleaned the movie up and did the the first like special the, – the, the first like extended Donner edition in like what, 2000 or whatever, the one that was supposed to be back in theaters and then it didn't happen. They cleaned it up and I think they corrected the blue because the suit in person is basically what you're seeing in Superman 3. But Oh, wow. Okay. It's not suppo- – they, they made it that way because of um, – the blue screens that they use, they use green screens more now, but back then it was more blue screens, I think. And this is off the top of my head. So if I'm wrong, forgive me, but I think this is what I read. So they, you know, they really should have over the years in any film corrected the the blue in his suit to be more of a Royal blue. Like it appears in the first two movies as we reviewed them. But uh, I, I guess when they got to Superman three, put it on home media, they're like, eh, you know, <laughs> so they just didn't clean it up because actually there's several things in this movie that they could go in and um, clean up and erase and they don't. And we'll we'll get to that as we go. But, uh, yeah, you're right. It does look more aqua. And, of course, Christopher Reeve's hair is much more brown than mm-hmm. black yep. in this film. And, um, you know, I've heard different things that Christopher Reeve, you know, he wore wigs, you know, sometimes and sometimes it was his hair. And I've even heard that Christopher Reeve had like some kind of condition that. He like had he had hair loss occasionally that it, like his hair would come out and then come grow back and um, so I don't know you know I've heard that this these were wigs in this film maybe they just wanted to keep it more to his more sandy natural color so it looked more natural and he's definitely since this is 1983 his hair is less 70s than it was in the first two movies it's a little less thick and a little less kind of feathered looking. Uh, than it was. It's a little more slicked down, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, he just he just looks a little different. But he's in great shape in, uh, oh, in, yeah. this, in this film because um, you know in the first two movies we occasionally get skinny Christopher Reeve. I mean he was never skinny skinny like his uh, screen test, uh, but he bulked up over the course of filming, and um, so you know scenes with Gene Hackman looked a little thinner. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know uh, all the, the Metropolis battle scenes. 
hey, Superman put on 20 pounds of muscle. Uh, so, so in this one, he's in great, he's in great shape throughout this film. He looks great. Uh, so, um, so Superman, uh, flies over to rescue the guy and, uh, they flew Christopher Reeve on wires over moving cars. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I, I mean, I, I'm so, I, I'm so circumspect about complaining too much about this movie because I just don't want it to be too much of that and i promise there will be things we get to that i like but like i he flies funny in this like he looks like he's going really slow like he's floating he's not flying and i'm just like it just seems like a very curious choice when this guy is like seconds away from dying like shouldn't there be some urgency to this like just between the scene with him patting the kid on the head and give, which is a cute scene i do i do like that but like you just pointed out there's a guy who's drowning like, could you hurry up? And then when he takes off, like, it looks cool, but he's not, it doesn't look like he's moving very fast. It looks like he's just kind of like, all right, I'll just whoosh over as opposed to like bulleting over to get him. Now, I know you just said they, they, they literally were flying him over a city street and they probably can only do so much. But it just seems like for, for an opening where we're kicking into the action sequence, it just feels very lackadaisical to me. Yeah, I think this movie, and I mean, I don't want to get super critical either, but I think this movie, I think it just would, it, it, overall, I mean, <laughs> the direction of the movie, whether you agree with it or not, but if it was just tightened up a little bit, you know, there's just, there's just a little too, I mean, like you said, they just, the spectacle of him flying across the street over moving cars, which is cool and really dangerous, on obviously, because, I mean, the wires did once break with him and Margot Kidder, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, I mean, if it, if it, you know, what would have happened if the wires had broken, you know, I mean, he's going to land on a car in front of a car. I mean, those cars are moving. It's kind of <laughs> scary, but uh, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it's the, they let the spectacle of it, you know, uh, trump the story urgency, you know, uh, yeah. and, and, and uh, honestly, Superman taking his dear sweet time to go into action will be a major plot point later in this film. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's kind of ironic, but um, so Superman lands on the car. He rips off the sunroof. And again, with the editing, it seems like it takes him a little bit of effort to rip that. He does. It kind of resists him a little bit. I noticed that like, he has to like, he pulls it and there's some resistance and then he yanks it a second time. And then it comes off. I'm like, really? Like he does. He has a, this, that's a really well-made car. I mean, you could run an ad campaign with that. Even Superman can't destroy our automobiles. I mean, you know, yeah, he should be able to just pop that sucker open with like a finger. Yeah. I mean, exactly. Yeah. I think that's another case where, you know, a second take would have sold the scene better. I mean, this is one of those things, again, this is us being nitpicky because we're doing it for a podcast and you have to, you know, you notice these things when you're taking notes and, and things like that. He pulls the guy out, shakes his hand, which I'm again, like wouldn't this guy have water in his lungs? Uh, I don't know. But <laughs> And wearing it, a sweater, which probably weighs fifty pounds because it's soaking soaking wet now. That's true. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but the guy, you know, is very thankful. Uh, you know, to Superman. But uh, uh, now here, when Superman flies away, you can see a slide in the foreground because that originally we would cut over to what is now a deleted scene on the DVDs and Blu-rays of a kid that's in this playground that's playing his mother's put him on a seesaw teeter totter, whatever you want to call it. And these guys are working on a, like a cherry picker 
and they drop a was it a bag of sand or I don't know what it is, but they <laughs> drop something that sends this poor kid flying into a tree, and it's obviously a doll or a dummy, you know. <laughs> and and so the woman yells for Superman, and Superman comes and gets the kid out of the tree, and you know, and gives the kid back to the mom, and says bye, and and you know, and he just kind of you hear a whoosh, but uh, so that was cut from the theatrical version. I think they inserted it. And that extended ABC cut, if I remember right. So uh, they, they, we got to get that ABC cut on uh, on uh, Blu-ray. I got to <laughs> have that. So let's, let's let's do it, people. Let's let's get. It. <laughs> wow. Uh, uh, one thing I want to mention before we move too far off of the scene: the the credits uh, lists the editor, uh, and here the editing is by John Victor Smith. Uh, Stuart Baird was the editor on the first Superman movie. John Victor mm-hmm. Smith also did the editing on Superman two. I'm going to assume that, uh, he was Richard Lester's editor because here he is editing the film again. Uh, and whoever I'm, I'm guessing he was not Donner's editor. And so whoever edited the Donner part of Superman two did got, got his name taken off the film and John Victor Smith got put on. John Victor Smith had a pretty interesting career. Uh, he edited films like Equus Finders Keepers, which is a Richard Lester movie. Uh, Cuba, which is a Richard Lester movie. The Harder They Come, the Jimmy Cliff uh, uh, movie, which a crime movie, which is a, actually a really good movie. He did a he's his final film uh, was a, a movie called All the Little Animals with Christian Bale. So he's edited huh. Superman and Batman, uh, <laughs> and he also he also edited the movie Water, uh, the comedy Water, and uh, one of the stars of Water was Valerie Perrine. Oh wow! Wow! Yeah, yeah. So he's got we've got all sorts of cross uh, crossovers here, back and forth in the Superman universe. Nice, nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we see Jimmy congratulates Superman as he flies away. So we're, uh, I think Mark McClure's already got more screen time than he did in the other two movies. Wrong, but <laughs> seriously, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But I, actually, I, th- I don't, I don't think you're not far movie, off. At least. No, probably not really far off. So yeah. Now I don't know about you, but this would seem a natural spot to kind of end the gags, but they nope. just keep they just keep coming, don't they, Rob? <laughs> nope. This is like uh, Mad Magazine here. We're just going to go on and on uh, with the physical comedy. Yeah, and and they may have cut the baby thing because now we get another set of workers working up high who are being very sloppy with their work, and they drop a few drops of paint on a, a gentleman in a nice suit. And uh, he thinks it's raining, so he puts his umbrella out, notices nobody else has an umbrella, puts the umbrella back down, and then the whole paint bucket lands on his head. Uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, hilarious. Uh, the fellow in question is Bob Todd, best known as a player on the Benny Hill show, and a little <laughs> yakety sax would have fit in right here. <laughs> he should, if only we could be running at him at double speed, chasing yeah. a woman in a nighty, then we've been... Exactly. Benny uh, Hill would have made a great toy man, by the way. Oh, man, wouldn't he? Oh, God, he'd been awesome. Oh, God, we should have <laughs> fan cast that last time. Jeez. Oh, yeah. Uh, then he, uh, and that would have break in the animated series when Toy Man makes that android woman, you know, that he's obsessed with. That would have been perfect <laughs> for Benny Hill, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, then uh, the, the man with the bucket on his head bumps into a gumball machine, which trips up a mime. Uh, because the gumballs go everywhere, and uh, he's performing outside of this uh, cafe, uh, and uh, we see that David, David and Leslie Newman are back. Uh, they contributed to the first two films, uh, so they're still on board here uh, writing uh, Superman 3. 
the mime here is played by a fellow named Justin Case. I, probably wow. that's probably his stage name, I would I, think. Yes, I would assume so. <laughs> he appeared as the Scarecrow in Return to Oz, that very... Oh, you, you really you really had me there for a second. I was like, what? <laughs> Where are not we going Jonathan, with this? Not Jonathan Crane. No, oh, no. Yeah, it, that's why it was a real. Like my eyes, were like, ooh, really? Chris is going to drop some knowledge on me here. What? Oh, Oz. Okay. Yeah, that returned Oz with Feruza Ball. You know, gotcha, remember gotcha. that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, not not the Ray Bolger type scarecrow. Uh, our our blind fellow from last time reappears, still searching for his dog, who is on the other side of the mime. Uh, who still can't get up. Some movers bring a large painting out from a store and the blind man walks right through the painting and finds his dog. Uh, I think some of these gags were tropes in the silent era, Rob. <laughs> oh man, this is, yeah. I, like, they, they found an old uh, Keystone cop script lying around and they're like, oh, we can just dust this off. This is fine. I do want to mention a couple of things. That you mentioned this Bob Todd guy. Yeah, uh, he was in a movie called Scars of Dracula. Have you seen that one? Oh yeah, <laughs> he's in that. And his final film is Return of the Musketeers, directed by Richard Lester. Oh. So Richard Lester really like using the same people. Uh, and then the thing with the mime, right? So the gumballs come, and the, the mime starts tripping on them, and he does the whole wah, 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 and he falls. And there's all these people at a restaurant watching him, and they assume that he's faking, of course, because they don't see the gumballs. And when he falls, they give him a round of applause, <laughs> which is the most unrealistic thing in this movie because no one likes mimes. No one would give a mime a round of applause. But if I'm trying to have a nice outside lunch in Metropolis and this idiot is walking by in his mime costume, I'm not giving him a round of applause unless he walks into traffic. So just already this movie's on my nerves. I'm well, sorry. Well said. Well said. Uh, <laughs> now we get Pamela Stevenson's Lorelai Ambrosia reentering the picture, and she's walking toward Clark Kent, who has also stepped on the sidewalk. And a bakery delivery man is carrying a large tray of pies in between them. He slips on one of those gumballs, and the pies go airborne. Uh, Clark, who is intently watching Lorelai, walk by with a smile on his face, grabs one of the pies with his hand and doesn't notice he slams it into the face of the man in the cap from earlier in the movie, you know, that we talked about last time. So not only does Clark not realize he slapped this guy in the face, which is pretty reckless for a demigod, he also <laughs> doesn't help the guy up with the pies. <laughs> <sighs> Come on, Clark. Your mother raised you better than that. <laughs> I mean, I can't blame you getting distracted by Lorelai. I mean, I can't, you know, I can't, right. I can't blame you there. Um, I, to me, it is very instructive that we get director Richard Lester's credit over the guy with the pie on his face. And like, he's also Lester, shaking his head like, oh, yeah. I mean, Lester <laughs> could have picked any moment to have his credit. And that's the moment he chose. You know, yeah. I mean, to me, that's very instructive about some of the moments that we're going to see in this movie. And look. Look, we love Christopher Reeve. We all love Christopher Reeve. Nobody doesn't love Christopher Reeve as Superman. I, I will say not to, you know, I will say I do feel like there were probably some moments where Christopher Reeve should have used his his power in this film because you can't make the movie without him. Uh, despite what IMDb says, they were not going to make this movie with Tony Danza. I, I, I got to wonder, did Christopher Reeve not see that and say, wait a minute, this is too far. This is too far. I'm hitting a guy with a pie in the face. I'm Superman. What are we doing here? I, I don't know. Maybe it's just Christopher Reeve is, was such a consummate stage actor that he just, you know, he was trained at Juilliard. It's like whatever material you give him, he he goes 
full throttle with it and doesn't question it. Maybe, maybe, maybe. that's what it is. Maybe. Yeah. yeah I don't know. Um, it's good. Good point, though. Yeah, he could have definitely said, "No, I'm not doing this." Uh, Rewrite this. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the pie delivery man is uh, Terry Camilleri, I believe that's how you pronounce it, who played uh, Napoleon in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. <laughs> so he doesn't like sliding on gumballs, but he loves the water slide. You know, what so. a great random credit. That's awesome. Good for him. Who doesn't love Napoleon in Bill and Ted's mm-hmm. Excellent Adventure? I mean, he's a the freaking crux of the movie, really, you know? So, <laughs> uh, so we get a close up of Clark looking back at something. Maybe it's Lorelei. Uh, then we focus in behind him to an upper floor of a building and it's the uh, sciences, the Archibald school of data processing. Uh, inside we have a class instructor, uh, played by, uh, Stefan, uh, Calif, I believe how you pronounce it, who was in your favorite Bond movie for yes! your eyes only. Yes, I'm so excited when I saw the credit. I was like, good for you, buddy. <laughs> He's still working because he was recently in uh, Guy Ritchie's Aladdin live-action film uh, from a few years ago and in Alice Through the Looking Glass. So uh, Yeah, he's still working. He, I also saw he was on Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Yeah. Uh, and he's in one of the uh, the small axe movies uh, that Steve McQueen is doing over on Amazon Prime for Black History Month. So I mean, and that they, that just came out this year. Oh, so cool. yeah, he's working. Also, I saw another credit. He's in a movie called Babylon. I don't know what the movie is, but his character is called Fat Larry. Um, <laughs> for those of you who want to bother, Stephen Khalifa is the opposite of what a guy named Fat Larry would be. So I'm kind of curious. It must be sarcastic or something because he is he is bone thin. This guy. Yeah, he is. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Gus is in this class. Uh, is this the same day as the unemployment office scene? I mean, man, he signed up fast. Uh, if, if it is, <laughs> I, <don't... laughs> I guess they don't really establish that, right? Cause there's nothing really indicating that that was the same day. So yeah, it might not maybe it's the next day or something like that. So. Right. Cause we're going to jump here in a little bit. We have to jump some, some, uh, but uh, he's speaking of jump. He has jumped to the head of the class because he proves his instructor wrong at, because he's able to program two bilateral coordinates at the same time, which the instructor tells another uh, student that you can't be done. But both Gus and his instructor are stunned by this. So he says he, but Gus says he doesn't know how he did it. He just did it. So is is Gus Gorman a, a, a mutant? <laughs> I mean, I, you know, from what I understand of how computers work, they, they are only as smart as the people programming them. And so it's like, I don't, like, we see that he's just got a keyboard. I don't know what he could be doing that could make these machines do the thing he says they're doing, but I don't know enough about it. I mean, this is a movie that's going to turn a lady into a robot later on. So obviously the, the knowledge of how computers work is a little on the dodgy side. Yeah, I mean, we're going to have, uh, you know, Streetlight characters like uh, traffic, oh, you know, oh, walk, crosswalk characters get into oh, a wrestling Lord. match. So, uh, oh. <laughs> and, but now we're cutting to the Daily News. I mean, uh, the Daily Planet building, and, <laughs> and we see its famous staff: Margot Kidder as Lois Lane, Jackie Cooper as Perry White, and of course, Mark McClure has joined them as Jimmy. Uh, Margot, I think Margot looks really nice here. Um, she seems to be photographed with a little more love and care than she was for the majority of. Lester's Superman 2, which we commented on last time. Uh, did, did you think so? I mean, it just it, she, she's very tan. That's one thing. Yeah, her makeup's a little softer. Um, and, I mean, she doesn't have a cigarette hanging out of her mouth. Uh, yeah. Like in 2. So, yeah, she does. She looked, the, the, I think her eye makeup's a little different. And, yeah, she is a little 
Tanner, ironically enough, because she's about to go on a tropical vacation, but she looks like here, she looks like she just come back from one. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, yeah, she looks, she looks quite nice. Yeah, she does. Jackie Cooper still hasn't managed to tie his tie in four years, uh, but uh, <laughs> how many five, how many five years, I guess. Uh, they're looking over Jimmy's photo of Ross Webster, who received an award for humanitarian of the year, which, uh, Remember that, folks. Uh, of course, Ross Webster is going to prove very important to the plot of this movie, and he is played by Robert Vaughn, best known to television fans as the man from Uncle Napoleon Solo, and also the film The Magnificent Seven. Uh, what did you think about introducing the big villain and a pretty big actor in Robert Vaughn through a photograph? It's an interesting idea. Uh, I mean, it's it's okay because I think we see the all three villains in one sequence. I mean, we see Jimmy took all the sort of cheesecake photos of, of Lorelai, right? Um, and then we see uh, uh, Ann, Annie Ross as the, as the Ross's sister with her glare, which is funny. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, I think it's a perfectly fine way of of introducing. I I am always going to wonder, and I'm not. I'm going to try not to do this every episode, but. Because it's going to get really tiring, but I just I understand why they didn't do Brainiac. We already covered that. I understand why they didn't do Mixes Pedelec, but I am a little disappointed that sort of the best the writers could come up with was like another billionaire industrialist kind of guy. Like yeah. you know, it would have been nice to see something a little different than just another guy in a suit who's got a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, and I mean, you know, a lot of people have mentioned it. We'll get into Ross. You know, we'll get into Ross. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, you know. Uh, uh, Robert Vaughn's character later, but I mean, he is essentially a lot like the later comic version of Lex Luthor that's yeah. going to be co- coming to the comics in, in three years. Uh, God, so can that's... you believe that? It's only three years away? Yes. This is only three years away from Man of Steel? Yeah. That seems amazing to me. It, it does, yeah. <laughs> uh, his sister Vera with the scowl, I, I think it's kind of weird because they talk about it being fuzzy and Lois is like, it's not fuzzy, she just looks like that, which is, <laughs> which is a funny line, but she's not really, I, I think they should have commented on the fact that she just looks so insanely intense in that photo, you know, yeah. she looks like she's trying to just gonna she's gonna eat the camera but uh, it looks like she's trying to scanner somebody make their head explode or something. oh she does yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're right uh she's played by annie ross who is also known uh for roles in shortcuts and throw mama from the train so uh but uh she's mostly known from uh, kids nightmares from the end of this movie <laughs> uh <laughs> uh cherry uh i said cherry uh perry chastises jimmy for uh, these boring photos and he missed Superman's rescue, you know, just uh, earlier that morning. So, uh, you know, Jimmy's answer to the chief was that he doesn't have, uh, you know, didn't have his camera with him. And then we get a classic Perryism in response. The photographer eats with his camera photographer sleeps with his camera, which is just, I love that stuff. You know, I, I just love Jackie Cooper as Perry white. He's, he's just great. Uh, and, and then Lois's response. I'm glad I'm a writer. Uh, so but I'm bum bum. Yeah. <laughs> then we get the Jingo Bingo. Uh <laughs> and Miss Henderson who who wants Perry to pick a number. Uh actually, you know, this seems like a really silly distraction in this scene, but it actually plays into the plot of the movie, believe it or not. So um, you know, so it, you know, it, it it makes sense. It gives the characters, it gives Perry something to do. So uh I don't know. It did you know what I I I have to remind myself that there there is a part of this that ties into the rest of the movie because uh, you know every time I think why is this you know why is this woman getting in the middle of the the big characters the Daily Planet staff you know in this scene but you know it's it's set up so 
she is played by Helen Horton, also known for playing Mother in Alien. And that uh, was she- amazing to me when I saw that credit. That was a, because I I went to her IMDb page and it said like you know there's that thing where IMDb lists like her the most famous credit first yeah and it said alien yeah and I'm like she's not an alien because there's only seven people in alien what are they talking about and then it was like oh she's the voice of mother yeah like, that's the one other person in the movie I was like yeah that's amazing I was so I was floored when I saw that credit. Yeah, uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, that was that was uh, it was like whoa! I didn't know that either. And apparently, she was in some movie called Phase Four, which looks like it's a giant bug movie. I don't think I've ever seen that. So. I have never seen it. I, she's also in um, the 1984 Razor's Edge with Bill Murray, which is oh. not a great movie, but it's an adaptation of my favorite book. So I always feel the need to mention it. It's a it's a uh, I would call Nate Razor's Edge a, a nice try kind of thing. But she's in that movie as well. Oh, cool. Cool. Um, she drops that the uh, the, the plot uh, element that the grand prize for Jingo Bingo is a trip to South America. That's Chekhov's bingo prize going off. <laughs> It'll go off later, you know. But, uh, <laughs> you introduce Clark, a Jingo ball in the first act; it has to go off in the third act. That's right. Right. If Perry can get it open, uh, Clark walks in and kind of rudely points out that Jimmy has mustard on his lapel. I'm like. <laughs> Can't you just bring him aside and go, hey, Jimmy, you got a little mustard on. He, he says it across the room. It's, Burn it off with your heat vision, Clark. Come on. Yeah, it's like, can't smell mustard? You know, it's a, <laughs> uh, Clark tries to get Perry's attention while he's busy rolling the uh, the bingo balls. And, of course, uh, Perry's not, uh, not uh, paying attention to him. So uh, that is the end of our segment here. So we made it through that opening. And now we're in the middle of familiar Daily Planet office banner. Are you feeling any better now, Rob? Uh, well, yeah, I'm glad. <laughs> glad we're past past all that stuff. I still, I, I, we said in the previous episode, the first episode, that this, that the the first part of the episode, the first uh, five minutes of the movie, is the worst of the silly humor. But I, you reminded me uh, that no, that is in fact not the case. Uh, we when <laughs> when we get to the scene that you you referenced in this episode, the streetlight scene, that is the. <laughs> we'll talk about it when we get there, but we're still not at the the, the lowest part of this movie yet. Uh, but but at least we're through the bulk of it, and we're now into more familiar territory, which is all of our friends at the Daily Planet. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm happy we're here. I'm happy. Yeah, we're me here. too. <laughs> So I guess that'll uh, do it for this episode. Be sure to check out the other fine shows on our network at fireandwaterpodcast.com, including several Rob and myself hosts. We won't get into that because, you know, <laughs> we we don't have all day, you know. So we, <laughs> we'd love to hear your comments on Superman 3 over at fireandwaterpodcast.com. And you can leave a review on uh, Apple uh, – what is it? Apple – Apple Podcast. Apple Podcast. I, I started to say iTunes. Like, that's not right anymore. You got to do Apple Podcast. You can also find us on Spotify, Stitcher, and Amazon Music. Uh, of course, we got to mention uh, that the uh, Fire and Water Podcast Network is on Patreon. Uh, so you can go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast. And there's many different ways you can help support the network. I want to give a shout out to Henry Bernstein, who specifically uh, is supporting Superman Movie Minute. And especially since it's a Superman 3, we really appreciate it, Henry. Uh, thank you. So, <laughs> Henry, I will say, Henry pulled his support from Pod Dylan and moved it over to Superman Movie Minute. I'm trying not to take that personally, Henry. Just imagine if they got Bob Dylan in Superman 3 instead of Richard Pryor. <laughs> He's, I, okay, we don't, we, don't, we don't have time for that kind of fanciful notion. <laughs> Chris. Okay. 
<laughs> oh, that'd been a cross. That would have been a heck of a crossover, man. Woo. Oh, shoot. oh man. Woo. The mind boggles. Uh, so, so come back next week as the adventure continues with Superman 3 Movie Minute. Giorgio, per favore. E grazie.